Today we begin an eight-week series on women in the Bible. As I said in the newsletter, summer is a good time to mix things up. And some of the stories we overlook in the Bible have excellent insight into the kind of people that God used. And we know that there are difficult passages in the Bible that can be interpreted to say that women can't preach or lead. We don't hold to those mostly here, as you know, since I'm here. But it's hard to argue with passages where God used women in powerful ways to do his work. And I want to say at the outset the obvious that these women are just as important as their male counterparts and used equally for righteousness in times and places where they forged ahead, regardless of difficulty, uh, because they so served God with all that they were, and he honored that. So today we're going to read the story of Deborah found in the book of Judges. And before we do that, I want to tell just a short story. In the middle of my college years, one summer I worked for camp with kids in the Salvation in the Central Valley where I lived. And this was run by the Salvation Army. And they do such good work coming alongside children. They really purpose to come alongside children during crucial developmental years. And so we did a lot of things with them. My major was developmental psych. So we did a lot of stuff with them. And it was very fun. And we also took them on field trips. And from my hometown, you can get to most places in two hours. You can get to the beauty of Yosemite. You can get to the otters of Monterey and the boardwalk of Santa Cruz. And the person in charge was the daughter of the main officer of the Salvation Army. That would be the lead pastor. And that summer, I also had eight books that I had to read in order to be a leader in my campus fellowship group at UCSB. They took training very seriously. So I would take my books, because by the time I got home, of course, I was too exhausted. So I would take my books with me, and we would read aloud, and we would talk about some of those kinds of things. And one of the books was Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, which was hugely influential in my spiritual formation. And I have vivid memories of driving through Mariposa and going to Sacramento to the governor's mansion, reading this book because it changed how I understood leadership at such a young age. And here is a quote from it. True greatness, true leadership is found in giving yourself to others, not in coaxing or inducing others to serve you. True service is never without cost. Often it comes with a bitter cup of challenges and a painful baptism of suffering. For genuine godly leadership weighs carefully Jesus' question, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? The real spiritual leader is focused on the service he and she can render to God and other people, not on the residuals and perks of high office or holy title. We must aim to put more into life than we take out. Let's think about that again. We must aim to put more into life than we take out. As I was reading and rereading our passage for today, I kept thinking about this book and how it inspired me to be more than I was at the time. Not only did I gain understanding of what it meant to be a leader, I was blown away by the different examples of leadership and all that I was reading, both in scripture and in church history, of men and women who gave their all so God's will would be accomplished, who gave their all so that people could find freedom in Christ, so that miracles could occur for true transformation of souls and societies and the world to happen, because those things don't just happen, right? 
They're the result of God inviting us into relationship with him, inviting us to serve him, and then our subsequent obedience to that invitation. So today, as we read the story of Deborah, whom we know only briefly, I just want you to consider what an incredible example of a leader she was who served with integrity and obedience before the Lord. Before we read the passage, I want to talk about what's happening just briefly at this point in Israel's history. Moses leads God's people out of Egypt into the brink of the land that they were going to settle in. And after his death, Joshua leads the Israelites in occupying the land. And at the end of his life, Joshua reminds them that they always need to be faithful in their covenant with God and urging them to obey the commands and the law. And if they do this, he tells them, they will find favor with the Lord. They will be a light to the nations. They will influence the nations around them. The book of Judges begins with Joshua's death and tells the story of how Israel failed to live up to God's expectations for them. And the name of the book refers to the type of leaders that were in Israel at the time before the monarchy, regional and political and spiritual leaders, military overseers called judges who operated kind of like tribal chiefs. This is a violent book detailing the lack of scruples Israel had with stories of certain judges who ruled in this time. And the judges go from pretty good to actually terrible and awful by the end of the book. And the theme of this book is God's people not being different than the pagan nations around them, especially Canaan. And early in the book, the narrator tells a typical cycle of Israel's life with God that is very familiar to us as we understand Israel's history, but also familiar to us perhaps in our own life. That they would sin and worship other gods. Which leads to God being angry and allowing consequences and their enemies to attack them. And then they cry out in pain to God, not necessarily repentance. They cry out in pain. And God has pity on them and raises up a judge who then delivers Israel. And then there's peace until they get comfortable and the whole cycle starts again. Deborah is the last of the good judges found in 4, 1 through 16. And forgive my mispronunciation of some of these words. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Here's the cycle after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth HaGoim. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. There it is. For he had 900, he, Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophet, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, position yourself at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you do, if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, 
I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenanite, had separated from the other Kenites, that is, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had encamped as far away as Elon Baza, which is near Kadesh. I'm sorry. I'm not meaning to be disrespectful. It's just hard for me. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out with all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all of the troops who were with him, from Heroses Hagoim to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, up. For this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. And the Lord threw Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army into a panic before Barak. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot while Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Hagoim. And the army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not one was left. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for insight and wisdom from the power of your Holy Spirit, from the power of your written word to us, to our lives today. Amen. Now we begin our series with Deborah today because she is a person of consequence for God's people. Often I have heard her dismissed as an outlier because she is female. But here we see she is an inspiring leader who used her influence for the Lord to be honored above all else. And when we think about people of consequence in our lives, people of wisdom, like we talked about last week, those who stand out are those who allow their lives to be used through the power of God for the good of others. So today we're briefly going to talk about five aspects we see in Deborah's actions and characters here with the hope that we would be inspired to be better spiritual leaders for the Lord and our obedience to him. First, Deborah was a judge of Israel. This is a big deal. She's the only woman mentioned in the Bible to have this role. And as we learned, it means that the Lord trusted her to lead the nation and the scripture says that the people went to hear her like they did with Moses. She sat under a tree and they came to her for answers they were seeking and for the settling of disputes. She decided what was fair and they abided by her decision because she was the authority. So we imagine she is gifted in wisdom and diplomacy and faith. I encourage you to read chapter 5, one of the oldest recorded poems in scripture. And chapter 5 is Deborah and Barak singing a victory song, retelling the story that we just read about. And they sing about how life had broken down in Israel and how it must have been unsafe because caravans ceased coming through there. Travelers kept by the byways. And then it says, until you arose, Deborah, you arose as the mother of Israel. Deborah brought stability and safety Scripture is silent about the specifics of her life, except she was married, and nothing about what happens to her later, except that Israel has peace for 40 years after all the events in chapter 4. What matters is that she was a good leader who led with integrity and helped her nation. There's a quote from George MacDonald on the front of your bulletin that I was very taken with this week that says, to be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. What do you think about that? 
Do you believe that? They're of course not mutually exclusive. You can be both or you can be neither. However, to be trusted by others in this life, to somehow speak or act in a way that they need is a sacred honor. We should think about what we care about more, being trusted or being loved, because our actions reflect what we value more. Second, in addition to being a judge, Deborah was also a prophet used to convey God's commands and warnings and encouragements to Israel. In verse 6, we see she sends for Barak, the military leader, because God has a message. You are to take 10,000 troops and go into battle against Canaan. And when you do, God promises victory. Now, 10,000 might seem like a lot, except notice how the Canaanites have been oppressing Israel for over 20 years. And one way they've been able to do that is because they have these 900 iron chariots, which just took people out. They've been used effectively against Israel. It's advanced technology that God's people didn't have. Yet here is Deborah, the authority in Israel, saying, take 10,000, no more, and go up against these people. To speak for the Lord means that Deborah needed to listen. When you speak for the Lord, it means that we listen first, not to what our own agenda is and what our own motivation is, but to have discernment, to hear God's voice in a situation or a place or in our family to boldly proclaim what is heard. That's a big responsibility. It's a big mantle. Yet we need those who boldly speak God's word. Third, Deborah was courageous. Look at what happens. Barak tells her that he will not go into war unless she also goes. I kind of love that. I don't know why he does that. It's not clear why he does that. Scholars disagree. Some say that he was afraid. Some say that he was stubborn or that he was doubtful of her message. Another thought is that Barak doesn't want to go into battle without the one to whom the Lord speaks. Now, I understand this. Maybe he himself doesn't have discernment. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I wouldn't know evil if it was standing in front of me. So for people without discernment, they need people with them who have that kind of discernment, who know what God wants to say and to do in that moment. Now, there are two ways that Deborah uses courage here. First, she tells Barak, yeah, I'll go. But because of this, you're not going to get the glory. That's going to go to a woman. Leaders of her caliber tell the truth. They don't equivocate, even though this might have hurt his feelings. And she's not afraid of the 900 iron chariots. She doesn't hesitate to go with him. If it's best for the people to uh, know God and have peace, then she'll go. But I also want to say, Deborah is kind of the bigger person here. She doesn't take it personally. She herself doesn't get her feelings hurt. Like, uh, I can't believe that you don't believe me. Nope, that's not what she does. She speaks truth and she goes forward. There is maturity and there is obedience here. Fourth, notice as the battle begins, Deborah is listening. She's listening for the right time to strike. And then she tells Barak to make the move. And then... She gets out of the way. The narrative says how the troops are in chaos and Israel rules the day. However, the leader Sisera escapes and ends up seeking refuge with a woman named Jael. And I would encourage you to read the gory details to the very end of chapter 4 on your own. 
This is the woman that Deborah was talking about. Jael actually gets the win because she actually is the one that takes the Canaanite ruler down. When Barak comes looking for him, she says, the guy you're looking for is, is over there. I already killed him. So that's a whole other story, but I want to talk about that for a minute because I want to talk about what this teaches us about Deborah. See, Deborah is the leader who knows what's going to happen. But she's not the one who has to make it happen. She's not in it for the fame. When Barack said he would only go if she did, she could have pulled a classic leader move that maybe you have pulled in your life, I have, or someone has pulled it on you, that goes something like this. You know what? Forget it. Nope. I'm just going to go take care of it. You want something done, right? You go and you do it yourself. You stay here and rest. So sometimes when people are in charge and someone isn't ready or they're unsure, sometimes we just go in and just handle it. Deborah doesn't do that. She pushes Barack forward. She knows that JL is also going to be part of this, but she doesn't micromanage that or get in the way of that either. This is a three-person effort. Deborah is orchestrating events and then allowing each person to do their part. This week, someone sent me an article on collaborative leadership in the church. What great timing was that? And the latest research affirms what has been shown before, which is that women are actually very great at collaboration. Now, part of this is a stereotype because they are communal. People think they're communal and they are nurturing in the workplace. So by choice or by mandate, the work of collaboration often falls on them. So they do a lot of the natural mentoring and training up as well. And women are more likely to agree with this statement that says this. Being a good team player means helping colleagues with what they need to get done. That's what Deborah's doing. Now, there's another statement that goes like this, a classic idea that says, being a good team player is knowing your position and playing it well. Now, we need both, right? We need both people playing their position, and we need people who are collaborating with other people. We need both. But there will be more collaboration when women are part of the leadership structure, and we see that with Deborah. This is a good story for showing how God's plan is for leaders to work together in their gifting, each playing a role to accomplish what needed to happen. There's interdependence. There's shared responsibility. God uses those who are obedient and available when the time comes. And let's remember, JL is not part of the community. She is not an Israelite, and Deborah sings her praises and welcomes her in and celebrates her, even though that is true. God uses everyone, and we need to not be like this. We need to be like this for the people that God wants to use in the uh, places where we are. Lastly, Deborah gives credit ultimately to Yahweh. This is a three-person job. Everyone is needed. But God has to be at the center of the greatest honor and the defeat of the enemy. Because human effort and ingenuity only go so far. God is the one that delivered Israel, and Deborah and Barak and Jael were merely his agents. One small detail that's left out of the story that is sung in the poem in chapter um, 5 is that right before the battle, God opened up the skies and rain poured down Imagine the scene with heavy iron chariots navigating in the mud or whatever else was there. No wonder the chariots and the army were in a panic because God provided a way when it seemed like it was impossible. 
Listen to some words of praise for the Lord from chapter 5. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Bless the Lord. Repeat the triumphs of the Lord. Perish all your enemies, O Lord, but may your friends be like the sun as it rises in its might. Deborah's life is an inspiration. And I'm glad that we could take a little bit of time this morning to familiarize ourselves with it or re-familiarize ourselves with it. She's among one of the best female leaders in Hebrew scriptures. She initiates at the Lord's behest And even when Israel's sin is part of the problem, she mobilizes the nation in a time of crisis. She has more political and military power than any other woman in scripture. And she uses it well, inviting others to lead with her. So let's go back and think about that quote again from Sanders. How we must aim to put more into life than we take out. This is true in Deborah's life, but what does that mean to you? What does it mean to you right now that we must aim to put more into life than we are taking out of it? Is God calling you to more spiritual leadership? To be more for him in the places where you are? What would that look like? What would it look like for you to be a person of more consequence and influence? We love people of consequence and influence in our lives. We go to them for wisdom and for counsel and for support. How are you doing that? How are you being that for other people? How is the Lord asking you to be that? The church has got to keep raising up people. How are you giving more than you are receiving? The work of God moves forward through the obedience of those who trust him. So let's hear what the Spirit says to us through the life of Deborah today. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.